welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Shooter, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 112, Five Reasons to Think Twice Before Taking Blood Pressure Drugs. High blood pressure, otherwise known as hypertension, is often dubbed the silent killer. There's no disputing its credentials as a killer. Almost 20% of early deaths across the world are linked to elevated blood pressure, and most shockingly, in the study that reached this conclusion, elevated was defined as a systolic blood pressure greater than 115 millimeters of mercury millimetres of mercury being the standard way of measuring blood pressure. And by the way, most people still believe that a blood pressure of 120 over 80 millimetres of mercury, that is, a systolic pressure of 120, is healthy and normal. No other risk factor or condition plays a bigger role in reduced quality of life and premature death because high blood pressure is, quote, the leading global risk factor for cardiovascular, renal, neurological, and ophthalmologic diseases, end quote. And yet, the vast majority of people do not experience any symptoms of hypertension. That's the silent part. What exactly does elevated blood pressure do to us? Firstly, it is the most significant risk factor for stroke and congestive heart failure. People with high blood pressure, that is, a systolic blood pressure of 160 millimetres of mercury or higher, and or a diastolic blood pressure of 95 millimetres of mercury or higher, have four times the risk of stroke compared to people with normal blood pressure. Secondly, it accelerates the development of atherosclerosis, which is the build-up of lipid or fat-laden plaques on the inner lining of the artery walls, and it also increases the likelihood that one of these plaques will rupture, triggering a heart attack or an embolic, that is a clotting stroke. Number three, it damages the delicate filtration mechanism in the kidneys. Even worse, since the kidneys play a key role in regulating blood pressure, this damage engenders a vicious circle of escalating blood pressure and organ destruction, which may eventually result in kidney failure and the need for dialysis. Fourthly, it damages the fragile blood vessels that supply the eyes with blood, causing hypertensive eye disease. Chronic high blood pressure can cause these blood vessels to rupture, resulting in blurred vision and even blindness. And finally, it accelerates dementia. Having high blood pressure in midlife is a particularly strong risk factor for developing dementia in later life. Given these harms, high blood pressure obviously requires urgent treatment, but are prescription drugs the answer? All classes of antihypertensive or blood pressure-lowering drugs present serious hazards, including these. Number one, diuretics, which are commonly used as first-line therapy in hypertension, increase the risk of developing diabetes and arrhythmias. An analysis of 22 clinical trials, including 143,153 participants who were free of diabetes at enrollment, found that those who were prescribed a diuretic such as moduretic, clotride or Lasix had a significantly higher likelihood of developing diabetes. Having diabetes dramatically increases your risk of both stroke and heart disease, the very conditions that antihypertensive medications are intended to reduce. Note that angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs, angiotensin-converting enzyme, or ACE inhibitors, and calcium channel blockers are far less likely to precipitate diabetes. 
Diuretics can also cause abnormal heart rhythms, known as arrhythmias, which increase the risk of sudden cardiac death. Number two, beta blockers also increase diabetes risk, increase the risk of stroke and death in newly diagnosed diabetics, and do not lower the risk of either complications or death in simple hypertension, nor do they lower risk in people with heart failure. The European Society of Hypertension now recommends beta blockers as first-line agents for hypertension, whilst the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association and the National Heart Foundation of Australia do not. Nonetheless, in my clinical practice, I regularly see people who are taking a beta blocker despite having simple high blood pressure, uncomplicated by any of the conditions that are considered, questionably as we shall shortly see, to warrant this prescription, such as heart failure or a history of heart attack. Beta blockers such as Indoral, Visken and Betalock raise the risk of developing diabetes by around 30%, with the risk rising the longer you stay on them. Since patients are usually told they will have to take antihypertensives for the rest of their lives, this should give serious pause to thought. Furthermore, in patients with new onset diabetes, beta blockers increase all-cause mortality by 8% and stroke by 30%. Beta blockers are commonly prescribed to lower heart rate in patients at high risk of heart attack, but a meta-analysis of over 70,000 such patients found that, quote, beta blocker-associated reduction in heart rate increased the risk of cardiovascular events and death for hypertensive patients. Those whose heart rate was lowered the most by beta blockers had the greatest risk of stroke, heart attack, heart failure, and death. Beta blockers do not show any advantage over other antihypertensive medications for the prevention of heart failure in people with high blood pressure. And when compared to other classes of antihypertensives, they raise the risk of stroke by 19% in elderly patients, while providing no benefit for all-cause mortality, cardiovascular mortality, or heart attack. The authors of a major review on beta blockers concluded that, quote, despite the blood pressure lowering effect, beta blockers have little, if any, efficacy in reducing stroke and myocardial infarction, that's heart attack, in hypertensive patients, as was shown in a variety of prospective, randomized trials and meta-analyses, end quote. That quote is from a paper called Cardioprotection with Beta Blockers, Myths, Facts, and Pascal's Wager. Number three, calcium channel blockers dramatically increase the risk of dying from cardiovascular disease, especially when combined with diuretics. The long-running Nurses' Health Study identified over 14,000 women who reported hypertension and regular use of antihypertensive drugs that included diuretics, beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, ACE inhibitors, or any combination of these, in 1988, and followed them up until 1994. Researchers found that women who were taking calcium channel blockers such as Norvasc, Adelat, and Isoptin alone had more than double the risk of heart attack as those prescribed thiazide diuretics. After adjustment for various confounding factors, the relative risk was 1.64. Interestingly, the association between calcium channel blocker use and heart attack was only found in women who would ever smoke cigarettes. Along similar lines, the Women's Health Initiative observational study tracked over 30,000 women with hypertension but no history of cardiovascular disease and compared the outcomes of women on a variety of different antihypertensive medications. Women treated with calcium channel blockers alone had a 55% greater chance of dying from cardiovascular disease than women treated with diuretics alone, while those on a combination of a calcium channel blocker plus a diuretic had a massive 85% greater risk of cardiovascular death compared to those treated with a diuretic plus a beta blocker. 
Even worse, when women with diabetes were excluded from the analysis, those taking the calcium channel blocker diuretic combo had more than twice the risk of dying of cardiovascular disease. Meta-analyses have reached differing conclusions on the risks and benefits of calcium channel blockers. And as always, I've included links to these studies in the post accompanying this podcast episode. One such meta-analysis found a significantly higher risk of acute myocardial infarction, again, that's a heart attack, congestive heart failure, and major cardiovascular events in people taking a calcium channel blocker when compared with patients assigned diuretics, beta blockers, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, or clonidine. Another meta-analysis found an increased risk of heart failure in coronary heart disease patients, but not in those with uncomplicated hypertension, and no increased risk of myocardial infarction, cardiovascular death, and major cardiovascular events. However, significant heterogeneity between study results was identified. That is, the studies included in this meta-analysis diverged substantially in their findings on a number of outcomes. In the face of these contradictory results, doctors and patients alike are left wondering, Is it safe to take these drugs? Number four, angiotensin receptor blockers increase the risk of cancer. Angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs, such as neosartan, micardis, and pritol, affect hormone receptors involved in several factors relating to cancer growth, regulation of cell proliferation, angiogenesis, which is the development of a new blood supply allowing a tumor to grow, and tumor progression. Researchers found an 11% increased risk of cancer in patients who had been on an ARB for at least one year. Lung cancer was the only solid organ cancer, with the statistically significantly higher risk in ARB users, the risk was 25% higher. Now, more recently, a meta-regression analysis of randomized trials, including a total of just over 74,000 patients, confirmed that taking a daily high dose of an ARB for longer than three years increased the risk of all cancers combined by 11%, while taking any dose of an ARB for longer than two and a half years increased the risk of lung cancer by 21%. And number five, over-aggressive treatment of high blood pressure by any drug increases the risk of death in people with coronary artery disease, and this is virtually everyone over the age of 60 who has eaten the typical Western diet. An analysis of 22,576 patients with hypertension and coronary artery disease who were randomly assigned to treatment with either verapamil, a calcium channel blocker, or atenolol, a beta blocker, found that the patients whose diastolic blood pressure was reduced to between 60 and 70 millimeters of mercury on medication had almost double the risk of death or non-fatal heart attack or stroke compared to those with a diastolic pressure of between 80 and 90 millimeters of mercury. Those whose diastolic blood pressure was pushed down to 60 millimeters of mercury or less had triple the risk. And I've included a figure from this particular study in the post accompanying this podcast episode. The figure clearly illustrates a J-shaped curve in which both significantly reduced and significantly increased diastolic pressure is associated with a greater risk of harm. Now, why is aggressive lowering of diastolic pressure so dangerous? The authors of this particular study proposed that it could compromise blood flow to target organs, including the heart itself, which could cause cardiac ischemia, that is a lack of blood flow from the coronary arteries into the heart muscle. Between a rock and a high-pressure place? 
Sharp-eyed readers who take a look at the diagram in the post accompanying this podcast episode will notice that patients whose diastolic blood pressure remained above 90 millimeters of mercury on treatment had a heightened risk of the primary outcome of this study, which was the first occurrence of all-cause death, non-fatal heart attack, or non-fatal stroke. So, if your blood pressure medication regime either lowers your diastolic pressure too much or not enough, you are more likely to die or suffer a heart attack or stroke. Meanwhile, as you recall from the very beginning of this podcast episode, having a systolic pressure greater than 115 millimeters of mercury puts you at increased risk of premature death, cardiovascular, kidney, neurological, and eye diseases. In fact, a meta-analysis of 147 randomized trials of blood pressure-lowering drugs found that the ideal unmedicated blood pressure is 110 over 70 millimeters of mercury. Patients whose blood pressure was this low without medication experienced no benefit in terms of reduced risk of coronary heart disease and stroke from taking antihypertensives. Drawing all these threads together, it's healthy to have a blood pressure of 110 over 70 if you achieve it without medication, but it's dangerous to drive your blood pressure down to this level with medication, and it's also dangerous to let it run somewhat higher than that on medication. Given these extremely worrying and perplexing findings, what is a person with high blood pressure supposed to do? Take the pressure down. If you have recently discovered you have high blood pressure but are not yet on medication, I cannot stress strongly enough the importance of adopting a comprehensive blood pressure lowering program, incorporating evidence-based dietary modification, regular exercise and sleep and stress management. I'll be outlining just such a program in next week's podcast episode. Many of my clients have achieved phenomenal results after just a couple of weeks on a comprehensive diet and lifestyle program, lowering their blood pressure to the point where the GP told them they no longer needed medication. Obviously, if you're already on blood pressure medication, you cannot simply stop taking it abruptly. I advise clients who are taking antihypertensives to buy a home blood pressure monitor when they commence my blood pressure lowering program. They take their blood pressure regularly, present the results to their GP, and as their blood pressure drops, which it almost invariably does, the GP can taper their antihypertensive medication. It's not uncommon for my clients to experience such dramatic drops in blood pressure that they have to halve their medication in the first week of following the program because their blood pressure drops uncomfortably and sometimes even dangerously low when they combine medication with a healthy enough diet and lifestyle program. The bottom line is this, if you have high blood pressure, you need to be on an integrated program that addresses all the factors that cause blood pressure to rise in the first place, and therefore lowers your risk of heart attack, heart failure, and stroke, not a drug that simply forces your blood pressure down while increasing your risk of getting cancer or diabetes, suffering stroke or heart attack, or dying. And just a final note, I put many hours into writing these posts and recording these podcast episodes. If you feel you're getting value from reading my work or listening to it, please consider a paid subscription, which you can sign up for at robintudor.substack.com. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.